the Holy Spirit and uh, how this Holy Spirit works in our life. The Holy Spirit is, of course, the unseen uh, but very real person of the Trinity that is at work in our life as believers uh, and in the world. Uh, but the fact is, there is another group of unseen spiritual beings that are very real uh, but unseen that are also at work uh, but they have the intention not of encouraging you or, or helping you grow, but of destroying you. And so this morning, I want us to explore the biblical concept of spiritual warfare or spiritual battle. Now, if the ushers could please make sure to bring the snakes forward and lock the doors as we... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I sometimes when I hear about things like spiritual warfare, I have like this little weirdo radar that starts, like, going off and, like, alarming in my head, you know? Um, because I, can I just be really transparent? I don't like weird, okay? I, I, I don't like weirdness. All right, is anyone else like me? Like, you just, I just, I've seen enough weird, and, and, and I don't really care for the weird, okay? And for some of us, when we hear, you know, sp- the idea of spiritual warfare, you know, images of snake handling come to mind, you know, or, or crazy, obscene uh, Hollywood movies about exorcisms and stuff, you know, and that's sometimes sort of the, the image that we have in our, in our minds when we think about spiritual warfare, right? And so the temptation for some of us this morning is to just avoid the topic altogether or just dismiss it, right? Uh, just say, you know, because of some of the weirdness that I've seen and, and some of the weirdness I've maybe heard about, and, and surrounding this topic, I just really just don't want to touch it, you know, with a 10-foot pole. I want to keep it all at a distance. And, you know, if you're like me, uh, that, that can be kind of the, the tendency for us, right? But, you know, the way I see it, a lot of churches uh, make one of possibly two different mistakes. And consequently, so do a, a lot of people in our churches make those same mistakes. The, the first mistake a lot of churches make is they put an overemphasis on spiritual battle. Some people do. They, they, you can overemphasize this whole idea, right? They, they see a demon behind every bush. And every problem is, is demonically influenced, right? It is a result of spiritual darkness, right? Um, th- th- you know, these people, that they think like this. They get in a car accident. And right away, their first thought is, oh, man, the enemy's just really attacking. When maybe it was because you were on your cell phone or texting and you really shouldn't have been doing that, right? That's not spiritual warfare. That's you not being smart, right? Or, or they, get, they start feeling sick and coming down with a cold, and right away they think, oh, the enemy's just really attacking me with this cold. When that might be, but, but maybe it's because you're not giving your body the rest that it needs and taking in the, the healthy things that your body needs to stay healthy and maintain health, right? Um, so it's not necessarily the enemy's attack. It could be some of the choices that you've made or, or, or you know, the student or the individual who bombs on a test. And they think, oh, the enemy just was really attacking me and I failed my test, you know, when maybe it was because you didn't study the way that you should or put the, to- the amount of time necessary for it, right? And so um, the problem with this overemphasis is it removes personal responsibility by blaming what really is sometimes very natural and logical consequences and blaming it on supernatural forces. And so there can be an overemphasis that, that results in a lack of responsibility for our actions and for what we do and, and how we respond to life around us. But there's another uh, possible scenario, and this is probably more common, uh, especially today in our world and in the United States, and that is an underemphasis 
of spiritual warfare, of the spirit world as a whole. And people that do this, if they're Christ followers, they might say, you know, I believe in the spirit world. I believe that Satan is real. I believe that, you know, demons are real. The Bible talks about them, but um, I don't really think about it. It's not really part of my life. They don't really have any influence in the world. Um, it doesn't really affect me. And th th there's a problem with that approach as well. Because with that approach, it removes the personal responsibility of resisting and taking a stand against the enemy. And it removes our responsibility to engage the enemy in warfare because there are some battles that will only be won spiritually through spiritual warfare. And so if we underemphasize this idea, there, there's a danger as well. We become targets, right? Because, you know, the best victim is the victim who doesn't know they're a victim, right? They don't see the attack coming, right? The surprise attack. And so that's our vulnerability if we underemphasize. So what I want this morning is for us to look at God's Word and take a biblical approach to what spiritual warfare, as we talk about the supernatural God in the supernatural realm, talk about spiritual warfare from a biblical perspective. And we, when we look in God's Word, I believe that what we see is that we have a responsibility we have a responsibility to take a stand against the schemes of the enemy by recognizing and responding to this supernatural spirit world, right? So we have to both recognize and respond. There's two parts that we're going to explore, and God's Word helps us to do exactly that. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I want to talk about uh, spiritual warfare as, it regard, as we learn about it in regards to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6.10. Here's what it says. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, listen, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Would you pray once more with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we continue to explore your word, Lord, I pray that the enemy would be held at bay and kept from stealing the word from people's hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open the minds of unbelievers this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive your word in good soil this morning and that it would bear much fruit in our life. Lord, we love you and praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we need to recognize, we said there's two parts, recognize and respond. The first thing we need to recognize is that there is more to this world than what we see with our eyes, right? There is more to this world. The Bible says very clearly that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So here, here's, the, here's you know, some news for some of you. Your, your boss from hell guess what? He or she's not really from hell. They're not your enemy, okay? And, and that teacher that's just from the pit, you know, that, you just, that has it out to get you, guess what? They're not really from the pit. They're not your enemy. You know, that, that evil co-worker who just seems to be like a demon embodied in human form that you just, just knows how to get you and rub you the wrong way, guess what? They're not your enemy. The Bible is very clear that our battle is not against 
flesh and blood. Certainly the enemy may use individuals, right? But that doesn't make that person your enemy. They're not your enemy. And so Satan and demons are real, and their influence in the world is real. In the, and they have a real effect in the natural world. And the thing is, they hate you and I as believers with, with a hatred that, frankly, I don't think we could even understand it and probably don't want to understand. But there is a venomous hate that the demonic world and that Satan has for your destruction to see that happen. And it's very real. We need to recognize that, that it's a reality. The second thing we need to recognize is our need to take a stand. The year before World War II officially broke out, Hitler had begun for the, uh, between 1937, especially in 38, uh, had begun uh, really taking some very bold and forcible moves uh, to begin to take land and establish what would eventually become his empire. And he began to do this uh, on the sly, uh, somewhat more forcefully than other times. Uh, in fact, many of, of the European nations saw this going on and, and tried to put a stop to it through different treaties and different acts and even giving certain concessions to Hitler, hoping that it would be enough to hold him back and to appease him, which obviously it didn't. You see, what the world failed to do because they didn't realize the significance of the threat is they failed to truly take a stand and say, no, you cannot do this. We will not allow this to happen. This is wrong. They failed to take a stand. And as a result, war officially broke out in 1939 as uh, Hitler invaded Poland. And it would take another six years, bloody, gruesome years of a world war to put an end to this madman and what he was trying to do, basically to take dominion, of, really, of the world. And so the question that we'll never really know the answer to is what if, what if, the powers of the world, and especially in Europe, but even our nation as well, would have taken a stand way back in 1937, 38, the, the couple of years before Hitler officially really began his war machine. What if they would have took a stand then and said, no, this stops here. This is enough. Right? Believers, listen. We have a responsibility to recognize the very real threat in front of us and to take a stand. The Bible says very clearly, take your stand against the enemy's schemes. We are called to take our stand. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility. It is your responsibility to stand against the enemy. So that's the second thing we need to recognize, our need to stand. The third thing we need to recognize is how the enemy attacks. If you're going to be effective in battle, you need to know the schemes, the, the tactics, the strategies of the other side, of the enemy. And so we can't be blind to what he does. And the Bible gives us some clear indications of some of the things that the enemy does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, the God, little g, God, speaking of Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. One of the things that the enemy does is he seeks to blind the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing and understanding the truth of the gospel. Satan also works in, to steal God's word from you. Matthew 13, 9 says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So the enemy is constantly working for opportunities to snatch God's word from you. 
Have you ever had a great Sunday morning where you experienced God, God really spoke to you through the message, or maybe at the altar in response to him, and, and you had a great experience with the Lord, and then you get in the car, and you start fighting with your spouse or your kids, or you get home, and, and it, it just seems like uh, it just seems like chaos breaks out and you start fighting and arguing and, and everything that the Lord had done in your heart, you know, just literally hours ago, maybe minutes ago, you suddenly, it's no longer anywhere near your mind. And you've all but completely forgotten about what God has done. Or maybe you've been to a retreat where God really touched you. Or you went to a conference or a retreat or a special service and God really touched you and, and you believed and, and you desired and you truly, sincerely committed for change in your life. And so you, you get ready and, and you go to bed Sunday night and you're excited about what God has done in you and the reality of what God has accomplished. And you wake up Monday morning and you go to school or you go to work and it's just like you forget all about it, right? Why does that happen? Guess what? It's not just coincidence. The enemy works to steal God's word from you. Another thing that he does is he sets traps to ensnare you. When I was in middle school, I went to a garage sale with my mom, and uh, one of our neighbors was selling a rodent trap. It was for, like, raccoons and squirrels and stuff like that, right? And so I thought, wow, how cool. And it was a few bucks, and I had some cash from my allowance saved up. So I asked my mom if I could buy it. And I bring this trap home, and, and uh, I was so excited uh, for this trap. And I, I thought, man, I'm going to trap something. It's going to be my pet, you know. And, and uh, it was great. And so, and my parents, I thought, go ahead, just let them play with it. You know, we lived in the city. We lived in Oak Park, which is just north of Detroit. Uh, so we're very much in an urban area. And I thought, whatever, you know, these animals are too smart. But I knew because I'm the one who took the garbage out. I've seen animals get into the garbage. I know what they like. And so I put all kinds of yucky but awesome stuff for if you're a rodent that you would love. I, get some, I got some old bread and slathered peanut butter all over, and I put some of that in there. And I snuck some hamburger meat out of the, out of the refrigerator, and I put a couple of lumps of raw hamburger meat in there. And, and I set this trap out, and, I, and I'd seen where some of the squirrels had hid. And I thought, oh, I'm going to catch myself a squirrel. And so I put some nuts and different things in there and some carrots. I thought, something's going to grab this stuff. So I put it all in, in the trap, and, uh, and I set it in the, in the back of our backyard in the corner where I'd seen, you know, animals kind of hop over the fence in and out. And I went to bed that night, and I thought, oh, man, I can't wait. I'm going to have a pet squirrel. And I go to bed at night, and I wake up in the morning. Right away, I go out Saturday morning. I go and check my trap, right? And I didn't catch a squirrel. And there was this great big raccoon. And I thought, this is better. And I was so excited that I had to show my mom. <laughs> and I started carrying this thing, attempting to make it into the house with the raccoon. And fortunately, my mom was there as a sentry and over the door said, no way. Right? And so my dad had to help me let the thing go. And I was so bummed. I lost my chance of having a pet raccoon. But the thing is, you see, our enemy is out setting traps for you. And you're the raccoon. And he knows what entices you. He knows how to get your attention. He knows uh, where your weaknesses are, and he will work to capitalize on those weaknesses. Have you ever, maybe you've been trying to get out of debt. And as you make up your mind that you want to get out of debt, what inevitably will always happen? You'll see a great sale. 
as you walk through the mall or you walk through the store, you see something on television, and there's a sale of something you've wanted, and, and you know, oh, man, this is the cheapest you'll ever get this thing, and no, I don't have the money for it, I don't have the cash, but boy, I could just put it on my credit card and I'll pay for it later. And, and you know what? That's temptation, that snare the enemy puts out there. Or maybe you've been trying to get out of the party scene or, or the party life and, and you thought, you know, I'm, I can't do this anymore. And you make up your mind and what happens? Your, your friends come over with a keg or a six-pack of beer or something or, and, and they show up at your house and surprise you and are ready to hang out. Right? The enemy is working to put traps in front of you. Maybe you've decided that you need to leave an unhealthy relationship. It's a relationship that you know needs to end. It's unhealthy. It's destructive. And you've made up your mind before God that this is what you need to do. And what ends up happening at your loneliest point, when you feel lonely, when you feel discouraged, right? That person comes knocking on the door, calling on the phone, saying, hey, can you talk? Can you talk? I just want to talk. Is that okay? Can I come over? Right? And there you go in a cycle of destruction again. See, the enemy knows these things. And he will set traps out to get you. Another thing, another thing that the enemy does is he fights to stop you. You know, God sometimes gives us incredible visions of, of what he wants to do, ministry that he wants us to be involved in, to uh, be a part of, so something that God wants us to do to accomplish for the kingdom of God. But when that happens, you can guarantee that the enemy is going to work to stop you. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, For we wanted to come to you, Paul is speaking, and he's wanting to visit the Thessalonians, but he says, we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, again and again, but listen, Satan stopped us. See, anytime that you have a desire to do something great for God, God puts something in your heart to accomplish for the kingdom, maybe to volunteer for a new ministry at church, or maybe to start something new that no one's doing yet, or whatever it is, you have this desire, this burden in your heart to reach people, whatever. Maybe you want to give more than you've ever given, or, or maybe you want to do something you've never done before. The enemy is going to try to stop you. He's going to put roadblocks. He's going to put obstacles in the way. And unless you're paying attention, unless you're paying attention, you'll get discouraged and just quit. Or worse yet, you'll make the false assumption that this must not be God because it's not going smoothly. And you'll give up. That's what the enemy wants you to think. And that's where you need to know, okay, God told me to do this. I know that God put this burden in my heart. And I need to press past these obstacles and past these uh, roadblocks in front of me and take a stand and fight for what God has put in my heart. The enemy not only wants to stop you, but he wants to destroy you. See, it's not enough for the enemy just to know that he's held you back or stopped you from being effective in, in whatever it is, uh, but he wants to destroy you from the inside out. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy desires to devour you. He wants to destroy your family, your marriage. He wants to put you so far in debt that you're constantly fighting about finances, constantly worried about it, and, and, and can never give the way he wants you to give. He wants you to uh, get involved in, in drinking and smoking and things that just destroy your body so that you're unhealthy and so that you can't live the way God wants you to live. 
to be as effective as God wants you to be effective. He wants to tear your family apart so that you're so distracted that you can't jump into the ministry that God has called you to be a part of. He wants to destroy you inside and out. And that's why it's not enough just to recognize what the enemy is doing, but we are called to respond. We are called not only to recognize, but we're called to respond. We need to take action. So what should our response be? How can we respond? These are questions I've thought of. How can we respond to a battle that we can't even see? And and maybe biggest of all, maybe I'm just too practical, but maybe some of you think like this too. How can we be expected to win a battle against, seriously, a demonic force, uh, an unseen demonic force of evil? How can we possibly be expected to win a battle like that? Right? And those are questions that we may think of, and, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but I'd like you to watch this video. What you see is not all there is. We have to learn this important principle that what we see with our physical eyes in the physical world is not all that there is. There's a whole other world. There's a spiritual world that's just as real and even more powerful than what takes place in the physical world. What you see is not all there is. Right now you may see some weeds and a building and a person and a Bible, but there's so much more going on around me. If you had eyes to see, there's a spirit world. The forces uh, of good versus the forces of, of evil where the kingdom of light wages war against no the kingdom of darkness. There's more than the eyes can see. There's so much more than just what we see with our eyes. As we understand that there is another world, a spiritual world that's just as real, that influences our physical world, we learn a few important principles from Scripture. In fact, if you're going through a battle right now, you're struggling, you've got something that's, that's very difficult, you need to remember this. You are not alone in your battles. You're never, ever alone in your battles. In fact, there's an interesting story recorded in Scripture in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, starting in verse 15, it tells a story when Israel was at war against the king of Aram, and there was a servant who was in a dialogue with a guy known as Elijah, a man of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The man was going ballistic. He looked out and he saw the enemy forces everywhere. There were horses, there were warriors, there were all sorts of troops. And he was looking going, we are way outnumbered. They're everywhere and we have hardly anybody. And that's when Elijah prayed, verse 17. And Elijah prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God gave him a glimpse into the the spiritual world and he realized there were God's angels and warriors everywhere. He was not in the battle alone because there's another world, a spiritual world. And we have to remember, there's more than the eyes can see. The reality of the spiritual world 
teaches us another important principle, and this one's about prayer. You need to recognize that your prayers are far more powerful than you know. There may be times when you pray and, and you feel like nothing's happening, but recognize this, your prayers are far more powerful than you know. There's a great example of this from the Old Testament one time when Daniel was praying and apparently nothing had happened. Then one day a messenger, an angel came to deliver this message to him. The story is recorded in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. The angel says, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. From day number one, when Daniel prayed, God heard the prayer and God was working in the spirit world even though Daniel didn't even know it. The angel went on and said, I have come in an answer to your prayer. And here's what he explained in verse 13. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. Can you imagine this? Daniel prayed, and as soon as he prayed, God heard his prayer, released his angels, and for 21 days, they did battle against an evil spirit. When Michael, the archangel, appeared, he, he was able to hold off the evil spirit so the other angel could go to Daniel and say, God has answered your prayer. 21 days, there's a battle going on in the heavenlies because you need to understand what you see in the physical world is not all that there is. So true. What you see in the physical world is not all that there is. We need to recognize and respond to the reality of the spiritual world, to the supernatural. Two important principles that he mentioned here in our spiritual warfare. You're not alone in your battles. If we look back at verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 6, it starts off, be strong in who? The Lord. Right? You're not alone in this battle. God is with you, and the angels of heaven are fighting with you as well. You are not alone. Romans 8.31 tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? And God is for us. He is on our side. The second thing is that your prayers are more powerful than you think. I love that story from Daniel. And it shows that things happen and things change when you pray. I tell my students this all the time. I tell our kids this, and I'm going to tell you this. There are things in life that will never be accomplished unless you pray and persist in prayer. There are things that will not take place. Jesus makes this very clear in uh, when we look at Mark 9.29. He explains to his disciples why they were unable to remove an evil spirit uh, from a boy. And Jesus prays for the boy, and, and the evil spirit is released. And the demons or in uh, the disciples asked why couldn't we uh, cast out this evil spirit and Jesus says this kind can come only by prayer and in the King James it says prayer and fasting but the point is the same 
there are things that can only be accomplished through prayer. When we get on our knees and we seek the face of God and we do battle through prayer, what can only be accomplished in the spirit world. So how do we fight this spiritual battle? Well, we use spiritual weapons and armor. I wish we had time to go in detail through this whole list, but I just want to highlight very quickly, if you look at Ephesians 6, verse 13 through 18, we read what's called uh, this, our, about our spiritual armor. And let's read through this. Ephesians 6, 13. Can I get just a little more light up here, if that's possible? That's good, right there. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. First, very quickly, I want you to notice. Did you notice how many times, just right in the beginning, it talks about standing, standing your ground, right? It says, stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, right? I mean, just this idea is reinforced over and over and over. The need, the responsibility to stand and fight. So we see the belt of truth. Roman soldiers, their armor would be held together by their belt. In fact, it would be the first thing that they would put on because everything else came into their belt and it connected and held everything together. In fact, to cinch your belt goes that concept, that whole phrase, you know, tighten your belt, you know, kind of get ready for action, get ready to move, comes from uh, this idea of, of the Romans' armor. Uh, they would tighten that belt to make sure everything was fitted tightly together so that they would be ready to fight. And it's awesome that uh, the, our belt and our armor is said to be the belt of truth because as we hold on to truth, it ensures that we're prepared to fight as we hold and hold fast to the, the, the truth, to what's right. The breastplate of righteousness uh, a breastplate, of course, uh, covers your vital organs. In a, in a Roman's armor, it would uh, obviously cover their chest, but actually go all the way down uh, to almost their knees, to their thigh. And the breastplate basically was responsible for protecting the vital organs, especially the heart. We need to guard our hearts with right choices, with right character, with, with integrity. Not because we're looking to impress somebody or somehow earn God's, uh, God's favor by how good we are. No, the Bible says we do not have a righteousness of our own, but it is the righteousness of Christ. And so we, we watch our hearts and guard our hearts not to impress anyone, but because we want to be like Jesus. And so we have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shoes of preparation. In the Amplified Version, it kind of helps us understand what this one's all about. The, the wording here and, and, and the Greek in, in this verse is a little difficult to translate. The Amplified Version kind of does a good job at, at helping explain that. It says in the Amplified Version, In having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. So you see, the message of the gospel 
is what provides a firm footing that keeps us from being rocked and, and tipping over and knocked down. It's important if you're fighting that you have good shoes, right, that, that you can have a good grip on the ground and stand your ground. And so the shoes of preparation means that we are rooted and anchored firmly in the gospel of peace, and it keeps us anchored, that we don't get off on tangents and things that are maybe secondary issues. We also have the shield of faith, the Bible says, right? The enemy wants to attack with all kinds of fear and doubts and, and, and anxieties, but faith in who God is and what his promises are become a shield to protect us from doubt and anxiety and fear. The helmet of salvation, right? We have confidence in our fight because we are confident in our salvation. We have the joy of the Lord. And we're confident, not because of our works, not because of what we've done, but because of his word, because of the cross, because of what he's done for us. So we have the helmet of salvation, but we also have the sword of the spirit, which the Bible says is the word of God. Just as Jesus fought temptation with God's word, as he fought off the temptation of Satan in the, in the wilderness, you know what, we fight the enemy the same way, with God's word going to God's Word and looking to what it says and using it to fight the attacks of the enemy. And then lastly, we're reminded once again to pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Why? Because in the end, things will never really change until we start praying. So what about that last question? And for me, this is in some ways the hardest. How can we expect to win a battle against demonic forces of darkness. The key is that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Let me say that again because I want that to sink deep in your heart this morning. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a position of victory. Because Christ has already secured the victory for us when he rose from the dead. He already accomplished the victory. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because, listen, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world, the spiritual forces of darkness. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58 says, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. You can't give something you don't already have. Amen? Jesus won the victory when he rose from the dead. And he says, the Bible says he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. There's that idea again. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, our job is not to win the victory. That's already been done. Our job is to stand strong in the victory that's already been accomplished, to stand strong against the rebel forces who would try to uh, take us out of our position of victory and to remove us from the fight. In 2008, when our country went into Iraq to remove Saddam Hussein, right, it was actually a pretty quick uh, battle for, for all intents and purposes. And we accomplished victory relatively quickly. But what we all know and what we realized, what our nation realized painfully right away is that it would take 
a lot of work and a lot of effort to stand our ground and to keep the rebel forces at bay from overtaking the country again and establishing yet another evil dictatorship, right? And so the troops that remained in Iraq, and, and, and the same is true for Afghanistan, were there not to win victory. Victory was accomplished. But were there to establish and keep peace, to stand ground, to keep the enemy at bay who was trying to overtake what was already accomplished. We have an enemy who's been defeated. But he's still fighting. And so we need to stand our ground and continue to fight back and not give in and not give up. We need to take our stand against the enemy. But unlike any earthly war, unlike Iraq or any other war, there is a very definite end to this. And it will end when Jesus comes back in glory for his church. And at that point, the war is really over. All fighting ceases. All pain is gone. All mourning ceases and is gone. Because Jesus comes back to once and for all establish his authority over all creation. But in the meantime, you and I are called to stand our ground, to stand firm, and to engage the enemy, to respond and fight with the word of God. And to look and, and not be just a doormat that looks the other way, that thinks, oh, it's not a big deal. These things aren't really real. It doesn't really affect me. But to realize, yes, it does. And I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to engage in spiritual warfare. And if we recognize this reality of the spirit world in a biblical, not weird way, okay, but in a biblical way, we will stand firm. And we will see victory in our life. We'll be able to continue to take new ground in the name of Jesus. Because again, here's this idea. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory in Jesus' name. Mary, if you could come, if you wouldn't mind um, leading us. Or Brandon, I'm not sure who was coming. but um, Brandon, would you come on up? Would that be all right? I think we have a little time. And I want us to be able to take some time this morning to be able to just seek God together. I was at the mall not too long ago, and the most amazing thing happened. The doors, you know, to, were there, and and I walked up. I think it was to the I think it was the uh, um, Yonkers entrance. I went in, and as I approached the door, ready to open it, it just slid open stood back, and I thought, this is amazing. I stood back, and the door closed. I took another step forward, and it opened. I took a step back, and it closed. I took a step forward, and it opened. It was unbelievable. Wow. And, and so as my family's walking around, you know, we had you know some food to eat and drink, and I had to go to the bathroom, so I go into the bathroom. And I wash my hands, and I go to dry my hands, and I'm looking for a button, and as I stand in front of the dryer, it just turns on all by itself. I, all I did was put my hands near it, and, and it turned on. I took my hands back, kind of scared me a little bit, and it turned off. And so I, I reached my hand out again, and it turned on. And it started blowing hot air, and I, I brought my hand back, and it turned off. I'm being kind of fun with you. Here's my point. We serve 
emotion-activated God. Our God is motivated and acts in response to our motion. Whether that motion is to physically step forward out of our seat to come forward and seek God, or whether that motion is to lift our hands and reach out to God in a sign of saying, God, I want more of you, we serve a motion-activated God. Amen? So would you stand to your feet this morning? And I want to pray over you this morning. And as I pray, some of you may just want to find a place to seek the Lord. Some of you may want to come forward. Some of you may just want to lift your hands to the Lord where you're at. But I encourage you to to make a move toward God this morning. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for all my church family and my friends that are here this morning. Lord, I thank you that you died and rose again and have given us victory. That we don't need to fight for victory, God. But we stand our ground and we fight from a position of victory. Lord, against an enemy who's already been conquered. So, Lord, I pray for those this morning that are in a battle right now. There are some that are in a a difficult battle of finances. There are some in a difficult battle in their family to make their marriage work. There are some that are in a difficult battle with their kids to see their kids serve the Lord. There are some in a battle at work. They're just ready to quit and give up. There are some that are in a a battle at school to live for the Lord and and be who they say they are in front of their friends. There's all kinds of There's battles of of sickness and disease that are taking place this morning. So I pray right now for those in battle, Lord, that you would strengthen them and remind them that they're not alone. They are not alone. And remind them, Lord, that their prayers are more powerful than, than they know. And I pray that you would strengthen the weary. God, strengthen the weary this morning. God, encourage their hearts. Encourage them to keep fighting. To know that there is an end to it. Oh God, and that you have won the victory. Lord, I pray for eyes to be open to the battle. For those this morning who maybe for the first time have begun to think about the reality of spiritual warfare and and the reality of how it affects their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would not be blind to the enemy's schemes and works around them, but Lord, they would engage in spiritual warfare. God, protect us against the weird. Lord, against extremes. That we would take responsibility for what is truly our responsibility for our actions. But Lord, may we see and also recognize that there is a very real spiritual realm that is unseen, but very real. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who are maybe ready to join the battle for the first time. If that's you this morning, maybe you're feeling a strange tug on your heart that you're not sure what it is. And You've not made Jesus the leader of your life. Let me tell you what that tug is. That is the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. Believers, if you would just pray with me that the eyes of the blind would be seen. You see, if that's you, the Lord is opening your eyes even right now. Not your physical eyes, but the spiritual eyes to realize 
there's a need in your heart for change. And tonight, or this morning rather, if that's you, if you need to take a step toward God, to, to take a step toward Him, to make Him the leader of your life, maybe for the very first time, or maybe you need to recommit your life because you know you've, you're not living for God. You've walked away from the Lord at some point. Would you just lift your hand this morning for me? Thank you. Thank you. Put your hand up. Anyone else? Just two hands. Anyone else? I'd like to lead us in a prayer for those that raise their hands. But please, whether or not you raised your hand just now or not, Let's pray this from our heart. And simply, we're asking the Lord to be the leader of our life. We admit that we've sinned, that we've messed up, and things haven't worked so well on our own. And so we believe that Jesus died for me and took my place on the cross. And that if we ask him to forgive us of all the wrong things we've done, he will. And then we simply say, Lord, be the leader of my life. Forgive me of my sin. And he will. It's his promise. So let's pray that. Would you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I admit that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. I believe that's why you died because you took my place on the cross and you rose again and are alive today. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and be the leader of my life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Can we give a hand clap this morning for those that responded to the Lord and give God glory and praise? Because the Bible says that there are angels in heaven rejoicing in this very moment. So I think it's appropriate that we join in that praise. Amen? Before you head out this morning, would you just take a little time to seek God? You may need to take some time to maybe do some spiritual warfare, to get on your knees and pray for some of those things that need to change in your family, in your work, uh, in your finances, in your health. It may be that you need to take some time to uh, maybe seek the Lord and just ask the Lord to open your eyes to the spiritual world around you and not to ignore it. Maybe you just need to spend some time this morning letting God encourage you and fill you with new strength because you've been fighting and you're getting weary and tired. You're beginning to feel alone. Maybe you just need to be reminded by the Lord this morning that you're not fighting alone. You are fighting with the Lord. And this is so cool. You're fighting with other believers. See, there's a reason there's no armor mentioned in the back. I believe it's because as believers, we're called to watch each other's back, to fight back to back, side by side to help each other in the battle, in the fight, as we stand together. Amen. As Brendan leads us, let's spend some time and, and seek the Lord. Whether you want to come forward, I invite you to do that, or just find a place where you are. Let's seek the Lord together.